I'm not pulling in my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been using my time at home to do interviews. Today I'm going way back uh, to antiquities, and I'm talking with Scaff Elias about the making of the second ever Magic Expansion. Hey, Scaff. Hey, how's it going? Okay, so we're going way back. This is this is early, early Magic. Um, so what is your memory? How did antiquities first come to be? How did antiquities first come to be? Um, that is a great question. Uh, so relatively early on, uh, we knew we needed expansions. And uh, Arabian Nights was, I think, probably, it was certainly not out yet, but it was probably still in design, maybe. And that was the one where, um, of every set that has ever come out for Magic all time, that is the one most solely attributable to one person, even much more so than Alpha. Uh, Richard just went home and, and banged out antiquities. And so it, it was looked uh, over. Arabian Nights. He made, he made Arabian Nights. Ara- Arabian Nights, right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And, and it was looked over, but I mean, it was, it was, it was uh, barely looked over. Um, and, uh, and, and there, there were not very many changes made to that. So, uh, f- so for designing the next sets, that was so difficult for him to do uh, alone. Uh, uh, you know, Peter really had asked us to uh, form a team there among the um, the playtesters uh, at Penn, and uh, and uh, you know and, and come up with uh, and come up with uh, an expansion. So we um, you know we looked around and uh, asked people who wanted to participate, and uh, and and we got the group together, and that was the that was the the origin of it. So most mostly it's the people you worked with from most of the sets you worked on, which is you and Jim Lynn, Chris Page, Dave Petty, except Joel Joel Mick is also on this team, which is not normal for you guys. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was added, and I, I can't exactly remember how that all came about. I mean, um, he was there and he was a sharp guy, and we all knew him, and and he was part of the the general group, but. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's he. He just got added. Okay, so let me let me ask. First, so the first interesting thing about antiquities, it, it, it's the first of a couple things. So we're going to talk about how these came to be. So first off, it's the first set to have a mechanical theme. Like Arabian Nights obviously had a flavor theme, but this is the first right. set said we're we're about something mechanically. And for those that have never played antiquities, it's very loud. It's about artifacts. So how did you get a mechanical theme? Uh, well, we had wanted to do mechanical themes, you know, and in fact, even before that, um, you know, Ice Age was designed for antiquities uh, uh, to a to a large extent, and um, and we had always talked about wanting to do mechanical themes for sets. So that part was kind of in the air for uh, for quite a while, and you know, people loved artifacts, and so that that was the idea is like, well, that's a slam dunk mechanical theme because everybody loves artifacts because uh, they're soft and weak and don't like to fix their mana properly. And I mean, the other thing that's interesting is you guys went full throttle. Like every single card in the set has the word artifact on it, except for a couple of the lands, but they tap for colorless. So they clearly imply you using the capped artifacts. Um, 
Why, why, why do you, I mean, this is really strong. There's not a lot of sets we got this strong on a theme. Right. Uh, so there's a couple reasons for that. One is, um, obviously we wanted to make sure that the point got home. The, the sets back then were pretty small. There's not that many cards in the set. Um, 85 and, unique cards yeah, in the set. Yeah. And so, so the thing is that it's, um, you know, you, we had already had two, uh, expansions, uh, out the big one and then the smaller one with Arabian Nights. Plus, in addition to that, uh, there were more on the horizon. I think the next set after Antiquities is Legends. Yeah. And Legends is a big set. And so there's just going to be a lot of cards out there. We knew that we wanted it as a mechanical theme. We also knew that we probably weren't going to do another artifact set for a long time. So we're like, okay, let's let's get it out of the way and uh, and and be done with uh, with this for you know at least a year or two or you know whatever. So that that's that's part of the that's part of the uh, uh, the reason for it. It also meshed with the flavor that we wanted. Uh, in addition, although that was a, certainly a secondary concern. Okay, so another thing the set did for the first time. Is it told a story, or at least it it hinted it hinted at a story at bare minimum? Um, how how did that come about? Uh, well, that was the thing. I mean, I, I had wanted to do that for a long time. Uh, you know, it was magic had sort of been random up to then, and and we had taken uh, obviously we we couldn't afford any sort of licenses, but Richard uh, wanted a theme, and so we you know he pulled from Arabian Nights because he had just been reading it and. Uh, and we had talked about doing a oh, King Arthur theme or stuff like that, stuff that that was um, you know public domain, uh, and and I, I really wanted to develop our own story because I thought it would be able to mesh much better with the mechanics, um, and we we could make it do what we wanted it to do, and then also we could you know uh, build up sort of secondary products you know around it. We could actually make the story uh, interesting. And the Brothers War, how'd you get to the Brothers War? How'd that happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that that was, we wanted to tie it to Alpha uh, as much as we could. And so we looked at the artifacts that were in Alpha, and there's um, Ankh of Mishra and Urza's Glasses. And so these are just random names that Richard had come up with. And so I think it was Richard. It's possible it was someone else, but I'm about 90% sure it was Richard. And then so we're like, okay, well, let's... There's not a, there's there's no purposeful story in Alpha, but there are some proper names. Let's tie it in as much as possible. So uh, that that's where we started. We like wrote down a list of uh, you know essentially all the proper all the proper <laughs> nouns in uh, in the first in in Alpha, and then um, and especially those dealing with artifacts, and then. And then we just started the story from there. I mean, you know, you want a conflict, and so there's war, and you've got Urzan, you've got Mishra. Now, why they were brothers, I think it's just some sort of standard, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it's uh, a archi- common storytelling yeah. trope, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't like any of us hated our families or anything like that. So, so anyway, that, those are the origins. So one of the things you did that was very interesting was. It's not as if the story was told sort of modern day. It was kind of like you were glimpsing at a story that happened long in the past. Yeah, so so the thing is when, you know, and I certainly have talked about this before, the, it, the thing that we were dealing with is, is later days, like now, I mean, gosh, you guys have, you know, resources and you can make 
movies or TV shows or web comics or comics or novels or podcasts or whatever. There's a lot of way magazines. None of that existed back then. Right. The only means we had to tell that story were the cards, literally nothing else. There was just no other uh, way for it to come out. And also the nature of trading card games is such that, uh, again, these days, uh, you can sort of get the compilation of everything. But back then, you have to remember the vast majority of people would get four booster packs of antiquities, right? I mean, that's that was their access to uh, all of the information that they were going to get about the story. And um, and so that it was, it's obviously uh, difficult to tell a story under those circumstances. But even today... Uh, you know, mo- most people probably don't own the whole magic set and a lot of people don't necessarily follow up. So your access to the story is these glimpses that you get. And that's very, um, it's very similar actually to archaeology. So, uh, so, you know, we sort of, we thought about all this strategically and said, hey, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? This is, this is sort of the work that an archaeologist might do, right? They're getting bits and pieces of, of these various things. And the story isn't like uh, so exact. It's not like you're watching a movie or you have a narrative. You you sort of piece it together. So uh, so we thought that was kind of interesting way for people to uh, explore the story, and it matched their amount of access. So with that archaeological theme, a, a bunch of stuff came out of that. And again, this is all from the original idea of how do you tell a story you know, with four booster packs of cards. That's the origin of everything here. So we thought, okay, archaeology. So that meant it was in the past. We took you as the player, as the viewpoint of someone who either uncovered these artifacts or, you know, was talking to someone who did in, in modern day. So, um, so everything was through these glimpses of artifacts, which is great because artifacts mechanically in magic are, you know, it's the same thing as artifacts today. So you have these, you know, objects, not creatures generally, but objects buried, you know, from a long time ago. So from there, the story developed into, well, this is before the five colors of magic first really 100% were, uh, took their modern day forms, whatever that means. Um, And so a lot of the first magic was indeed uh, these ancient artifacts why is the history not complete? Well, the history is not complete because, uh, well, there's basically Armageddon, a devastating war. So the stuff is not only old, but civilization has been destroyed. And there you go. Does that all make sense? Yeah. The other thing the audience, I just want to make sure the audience understands is at the time Antiquities came out, early, early on, Wizards was very secretive about what was in the set. So like right now, when a set comes out, you can see the spoiler and see all the cards you didn't see the cards unless you opened a booster pack or you saw your friend's cards. So, like, it was back then, it's just important to understand that, like, you know, when Scaff says, like, that's all you had, that is all you had. There's not even other resources to see the cards. So that was a very different world. You you could, I mean, by the time Antiquities came out, you know, you could go on to uh, the Usenet groups and you could get a list of, of all the cards. But you couldn't, like, see the cards. Like, maybe someone could list what the cards were. <laughs> you couldn't were. see them. You could get the text from yeah. them. And, uh, and so that was, you know, but even then, you know, you have to remember, uh, that's a relatively small percentage of, of the players that, that had access to it that way. So it's not like it didn't exist. It was just like, you know, 
maybe a couple percent of the players had access to the list. And certainly, as you pointed out, no visuals, just uh, just text. Okay, so I was going to just, I want to talk through some of the cards in the set and, okay. and uh, sort of see what your memory is of, of how they came to be. Yeah. So we're going to start with the Urzatron. So Urza's Tower, Urza's Factory, Urza's Tower, Urza's Power Plant, Urza's Mine. How did that, how did that come to be, those cards? Right. So the thing with those, right, is that you um, you wanted to have lands in antiquities. And uh, b by the nature of the whole set, we wanted them to, um, you know, uh, generate colorless mana. So um, so then, you know, you uh, you know, you, you sort of start from there and you say like, oh, OK, well, if you tap a land for one mana, uh, that's pretty lame. Um, that's, uh, that's not good enough. And if you, um, if you tap it for two colorless mana, that's too good. So then there you go. <laughs> that's like, so how do you, so, the, and this is, this isn't just antiquities. This is like the history of magic is, you know, you, you, one colored mana is, um, you, you can't go below generating one colored mana. Because otherwise you would just play with a with a, with a with a basic land, and uh, and generating doubles pretty difficult. You need to put a cost on it. So uh, every land that's been designed properly since then is you know sort of somewhere in there in that range. But what, what, where did you get the idea of like there's three lands? You got to get all three out. Like wh where did that come from? Oh, just a, some means of uh, essentially you know uh, having you generate. Uh, more than one colorless mana per land and, and and there's different costs you can do right like um you know whatever city of brass you took a damage and at the time that had already been out and so uh, and so uh, or you can come into play tapped or there's you know there's different things that are the cost well the cost for this was you you had to have multiples we i mean it again it meshed with the story because we we did actually want you know, the idea was the the entire planet was essentially consumed in the war. That's um, you know this sort of like uh, nightmarish kind of uh, vision of so these massive industrial camps gone go, gone crazy, and and so that was part of what. Okay, so here's a question that I've I've always wondered. Uh, so mine taps for two, power plant taps for two, but tower taps for three. Why why have the tower tap for more than the mine and the power plant? Oh, just to add a little bit of texture to it, I think is is mainly uh, is mainly what's going on. I don't really think that we, um, I don't really think that we said, oh yeah, the proper cost instead of two 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 is two two three or two three four or whatever. I I mean, I, I'm sure we thought that it wasn't too good, and also that uh, it was just a little more interesting if one of them was slightly more valuable. So it had to be the tower because that you know that's where Urza is. I see. So another thing that uh, just to bring up because uh, the Urza Tron cards do do this. So on the lands, you had different art. I don't know that you had anything to do with this, but I'll ask. Uh, do you know you have any idea? This is the first time that Magic cards had multiple art for the same card. Do you have any idea why that was done? Uh, I mean, it was done because um, because they were sort of. Uh, Wait, it wasn't. It was that wasn't done for land in the basic set? 
Well, uh, I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're correct. You're correct. Alpha had the, yeah, the, 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 no, the land in different order. You're right. That's just been a standard part of land uh, for um, that was printed in the commons. Oh, okay, that's so a good point. Just, right. So, so like okay. Arabians, right, doesn't have any common land, right? Is that correct? I think that's correct. Oh, desert. Desert's a common land. Oh, okay. desert might desert might have alternate alternate art. That's yeah, that's. I think that's. I think it's just as simple as that. Is if it, if the lands on a uh, printed multiple times on a sheet. Um. So if it's printed multiple times on a sheet, it had multiple art. Yeah, Arabian night. Well, Arabian night was also desert was weird because the way the sheets work. But okay, that that's that's interesting. So, okay, so, sorry, sorry. There's there's nothing that the the true first alternate art was Fallen Empires. Right, Fallen Empires is when beyond the land. Right. Okay. Right. Okay, next, as we're talking about land, let's talk about another land. Sorry for that story not being more interesting. No, no, that's, hey, sometimes, sometimes the answer is, oh, it's, there's a very clean, simple answer. It's like, okay. I, I, I like clean, simple answers. I've nothing wrong yeah, with that. Yeah, as simple as you get. Okay, so um, in other lands, we're talking about some other lands. Mishra's factory, where did that come from? Uh, that's, uh, that's the, the, the land that becomes a creature. Yeah, you activate, make, make it a 2-2 two, a two, two assembly worker. Yeah. Um... You know, uh, I, I don't I don't know if there were precursor uh, cards that that fit that mechanic, but the idea of being able to change from one classification to another to avoid the sweepers was, you know, essentially mm-hmm. the, the idea there. Again, Mitra's factory, it's not good enough if it only does a colorless, so you have to add an extra power to it, and the extra power was avoiding the. Uh, Right, I just don't mean for the audience who might not know these cards. Uh, Mishra's Factory tap for one colorless. You can yeah. tap it to give any assembly worker plus one plus one, and for one mana you can turn it into a two two assembly worker. Right, and so you know that that turned out, you know, poor, poor Urza, um, his stuff really never never made it very far past antiquities. His lands, but no, Mishra, I mean, those, the Urza Trine does see play in certain formats. Not that. Not that Mishra's factory isn't good, and we'll get to Mishra's workshop in a second, but um, yeah, yeah, Mishra Mishra outshone Urza a little bit of a land. Well, and also, I, I, again, it, I, I mean, I think the best of all of them is the strip mine, probably. Well, okay, uh, the, 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 how, 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 did strip, how did strip mine come about? Um, how did strip mine come about? Again, I mean, you know, you sit down and you 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 divvy up the lands between Urza and Mishra, and you know, I will say that one thing is that. The idea was Ursa was the good guy and Mitra was the bad guy. You know, more or less. They're, they're, neither of them are. They're a little, little gray at times. Yeah. Paragons <laughs> of virtue. But um, but so Ursa's stuff isn't destructive, right? It's mm-hmm. it's just uh, generating um, it's just generating mana, and uh, and you know. Uh, for for Mitra's stuff, right? You've the strip mine is destructive. It's destroying land. It sort of felt fit the flavor of strip mine. Um, and also, uh, Oh, I should tell the audience strip mine for those that don't know is you tap for one colorless or you can tap it to destroy a land. Right. And then, and you um, sack, you sack it to destroy a land. Right. And then, uh, and then, you know, uh, the same thing with the, the, uh, the factory where, you know, those lands die obviously a lot more than normal lands do. Okay, so uh, one other, uh, so probably the most powerful of the lands uh, is a card called Mishra's Workshop. You tap to add three colors to your mana pool, but you can only use it to cast artifacts. Right. Um, where, where did, memory of this card? 
Uh, no, it's just pretty, I mean, it's just pretty, uh, standard, you know, back then when it came out, it was much less powerful than it is now. Um, and, you know, part of that was sort of the original, uh, design idea behind artifacts, which over the years has certainly been blurred is that an, an artifact should, uh, essentially be worse at doing whatever it's doing than any than the worst color, right? So if you have a creature in blue, you blues creatures back then were pretty bad. Of course, again, I know that that's also changed somewhat. But uh, so the idea was, well, why would you ever play a blue creature if you could just play an artifact instead that was just as good or better? So so at the time, artifacts were in general they either did something that uh, the colored cards didn't do so they had their own unique thing but if they did something that a color card could or 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 would do then they then the artifact had to be worse at it than the worst color so that was richard's uh you know constraint from the very beginning because otherwise uh you know like i said a, a lot of the cards inside colors become obsolete so at the time Misha's workshop certainly wasn't uh you know what it later became but I will say, even within this set, there are some powerful artifacts in this set, right? There are, and but, but most of the time, most of the time, they're going to be doing something that, uh, and I'm not saying we didn't screw up or whatever, but most of the time, they're going to be doing something that uh, color wouldn't do. Okay, so uh, let's just talk a few of the, the powerful artifacts. Um, a few of the, the things that are going to make what I just said be a lie. <laughs> well, they're, I mean, they're memorable from the set because they're powerful, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, Candelabra of Tanos. Do you remember how this... So, for the audience that might not know no this... I have no idea what Candelabra of Tanos. I, I don't even remember that. Is that the one that... So, it costs one. Uh, yeah, it costs one. X, yeah. uh, X and tap, untap, X separate lands. Right. Uh, so, that is definitely, you know, the idea for that was to use it with, like, the, the Urzatron. Yeah, it's, Right, because the the interesting thing about the Candelabra of Thanos is, I believe before antiquities, I believe there were no there were no lands that generated more than one mana. I do not believe that is uh, correct. I believe that's correct. So the Candelabra of Thanos is bad unless that's the case, right? Unless you had a set that also had lands to produce more than one mana. <laughs> well, I, I you know there was the giant wild growth, giant growth, or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, there was yes in the original. There was an enchantment that you could make a land produce two mana. Produce obviously. two mana, yeah. so it wasn't like it was completely useless outside of antiquities. But like you know, obviously the the main because it's a terrible card. If all your mans are producing one mana, one mana, it's it's a pretty bad card. So, so this is really designed to. Um, this is really designed to, uh, you know, help you power all the wacky lands here. Okay, another very powerful card was called Ivory Tower. Costs one. During your upkeep, uh, you gain one life for each card in your hand above four. Right. Do you remember the origin of this card? Yeah, I mean, the origin is, uh, well, I mean, the origin is that we wanted we wanted life gain, you know, and uh, the Ivory Tower, again, it's supposed to be at least reminiscent of Urza's Tower. And the thing is that it's... Uh, you know, at the time in Magic, actually, you know, 99% of life gain in Magic is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's on purpose, right? Uh, sorry for those of you who like life gain. That's on purpose just because of time considerations and stalemates and everything. So um, this was sort of 
pushing the boundaries as to what we thought you could do with life gain. Because um, if you're just playing it straight up and you don't have a really, really clever strategy, it's kind of a terrible card because you, you don't gain life unless you're not playing cards. Yeah. So, um, so that, that, that's the idea. It was, you know, at the time it was like, you either need to do it really, really, really cleverly, or it's a sucker card. Was the card designed as an anti-black vice? Was that conscious? Uh, I mean, it was certainly meant to, to be parallel, uh, you know, and, and counter it, but it wasn't really, I mean, it wasn't like, oh man, we need to counter black vice. So it was just supposed to, you know, it's just some sort of, uh, aesthetically parallel basically i think is the main okay so the next card i want to talk to uh was a very influential card in that it did something magic hadn't done and since then it's been just become part of the game which is millstone so for the audience uh artifact that costs two two and tap and you mill you mill two you mill target player for two where did this come from i mean obviously millings become a thing like magic just does milling all the time now but this was the first card that ever did it Right. So originally, um, in Magic, in the very first, you know, uh, version of the rules, well, probably the very first version of the rules, uh, running out of cards d didn't kill you until it happened the first time, and Richard was like, "Okay, well, we need a rule." Um, so it was it was in there not as um, a true alternate win condition uh because you weren't really supposed to get that far it was mostly like well if something's gone wrong in the game there is a way to make sure it ends you know because you know we certainly hit those you know, very early on in, in playtest and so uh so we have this alternate victory condition sitting there so we're like hey let's 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 go ahead and use it use it let's uh let's let's play with it and so millstone i think is one of the you know it's kind of interesting because it's um uh I think I, I mean uh, uh, it was pretty well designed. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It, it it is amazing how you are the right power level way back then, and like yeah, we just, yeah, yeah, we yeah. just printed today. It's it's, it's you know so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of unusual, right? You look at all these old cards, and it is sort of unusual to have a card like oh sure a, a black lotus or a mox or whatever. And there's so many cards, or oh shiva dragon was supposed to be so powerful, and then it turns out to not be. And and so you you know. Uh, sort of to get the power level right is, you know, I don't know. It's, it was, it was good. It was, uh, and we, we did, we did test it a lot. I mean, we really worked at it, the number of extra turns you would expect and the, what you were giving up and everything like that. Although I think certainly it was more, you know, more lucky than good. Okay. Um, the last card I want to talk about was very controversial when the set came out. Uh Oh, um, and there's actually a funny story about Richard, like, going to interview somebody uh, about making a game. And it's like, I hope you don't make a broken card like the card we're about to talk about. Oh, I know what you're going to say. So it's Ornithopter. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it costs zero for a zero or two flying creature. So this was the first, I think, well, I mean, there were moxes and stuff. Uh, this is the first creature maybe that cost zero? Right, because, see, a, a mox couldn't kill you. Well, Ornithopter can't really kill you either, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you can put an unstable mutation on it. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. People always asked us if we, you know, had mat mathematical formulas. And they, they would come up with these formulas for the value of a card. And, and, and this also... This Ornithopter exposed the lack of value among playtesters. 
Uh, I, I don't know how, how much you guys experience that today. People know a lot more about the game than they did back then. But we would send these cards out to general playtest, and the comments we would get back on Ornithopter were like, "You you can't do this. You've broken the game." And, uh, you know, it, it's just because our formulas show that it, it's infinitely good, right? Because there would be some <laughs> sort of division by zero error there. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe instead of concentrating on formulas, you should concentrate on maybe thinking. Uh, but it, it's really, it was unbelievable. Like, even at the time uh, when it was first proposed, like, you know, the, the people on the team were like, wait, you, you can't really do that. And I'm like, oh, let's think about it because I think you can. Uh, you know, there was this realization there that the, the main cost of a card, of course, is is your draw. You know, it's costing mm -hmm. you a card, the opportunity cost. Yeah. And so and that's why, you know, Ice Age, even though it was not in, in, a, in a decent form, Ice Age had the cantrips, which sort of played around with the cost of a card being a card and Force of Will did it in the opposite direction. But Ornithopter was this like really sort of brought it home initially where it's like, OK, here, here's the deal. Uh, the mana, the mana cost isn't the real cost of the card, and it looks cool, right? I mean, uh, it's it's just awesome. And then there was certainly the thought that at zero mana cost, you know, maybe at some point it can be used for some infinite loop somehow. And it was. Uh, there, there's a very famous deck called mm -hmm. Fruity Pebbles uh, yeah. that used the or you use zero drop creatures, but Ornithopter was one of them. Was one that of them, right? it would just infinitely so, cycle, and the fact that zero right. means you know because right. because we weren't. We, we not not only weren't we scared of combos, as is obvious with Candelabra of Thanos and the Urzatron and stuff like that. Like we we wanted them to be a, a, a solid part of the game for people to build up to these crazy combos, just as long as it was sufficiently difficult. Well, I I do remember the the um, the playtest group said, well, "What if you had a deck that was nothing but islands, ornithopters, and unstable mutations?" Because we kept, we said, like, the, the Ornithopter is not infinitely good. And, I mean, it wasn't just one playtest group. It was, like, multiple oh, playtest yeah. groups. I mean, even when the set came out, I mean, I, I was on the outside. I, I have to stress, yeah. by the way, before I came to Wizards, my, my favorite set was Antiquities. I loved Antiquities. <laughs> um, and I remember when Ornithopter came out, there were people that, like, they, they can't print that. And I would have arguments with people. I'm like, so how is it broken? Like, what is, you know, and it's like, it's like this hypothetically broken rather than actually practically broken. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, uh, we 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 just asked them to all submit decks, and of course, n none of them ever were any good. Okay, so we uh, I, I can see my desk here, so I'm almost to work. But any final thoughts on antiquities? <laughs> uh, it was I do remember it being very fun to work on. It was a great group of people, um, and uh, and 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 I thought I thought working on the story was fun, and it was very interesting because that was one of the times where. There was a lot of back and forth between the story and the cards where like, oh, well, you've got four boo cards and you need a fifth one and you've run through all your mechanics and then, oh, let's fill in a story gap or vice versa. So, uh, so it was, was, was good. It was really very, it's extremely enjoyable to work on and I'm very happy how, uh, how most of it turned out, uh, given given what we knew at the time, obviously, you know, like oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, set design set design is obviously a lot a lot. People are a lot better at doing stuff than they were back then, but um, yeah, but no, the I, amount of knowledge we had was close to zero. No, I'm like I said, I I I, ador I adored antiquities. I just think there's so, there's so much yeah. fun stuff in it, and, and yeah, I I also I always loved artifacts, and you know, it, it really was. In some ways, it's, it, this is one of the sets that really inspired me. So I, I, I it's, it's fun for me to go back because 
a lot of the times when I'm doing these interviews, I was involved in making the set. And I had nothing. I was a player for this set. I remember playing right, it, but I had nothing right. to do with making it. And so it's like you're, you're approaching it as a little kid. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have, I have such fond memory. I don't know. It just. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Triskelion. I just thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you had fun with it. I think a, a lot of people did. Well, thank you, Scaff. But guys, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, but I see my desk, so we all know what that means. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So once again, Scaff, thank you so much for being here. Awesome, well, great to be here. And uh, all of you, I will see you next time. Bye bye. All right.